Hello again, welcome to another episode of the Uranium Market Minute. Today is Monday, May 8th, and this is episode number 201. My name is Justin Hewn. I am your host. I'm the founder and publisher of the Uranium Insider Investing Newsletter, the only investing newsletter that focuses solely on uranium and publishes on a regular monthly basis. As always, nothing that you see or hear in this podcast is intended to be investing advice. I'm not your financial advisor. This is not financial advice. Please always do your own due diligence when it comes to investing and always take responsibility for your own choices. All right. It is great to be back with you guys again today. It has been two months since I last published on this channel. My sincere apologies. Thank you so much for your patience. It's been a, an exciting couple of months, honestly. Um, the last time I published was, was actually within a couple of days of the low print of the year so far for the ETFs and much of the uranium equities as well. Um, we were right around the banking crisis when we saw a couple of bank failures and we saw some waterfall declines across various asset classes. Uranium was no exception. We've since kind of chopped higher, made higher lows and slightly higher highs across most of the stocks in the space. Sentiment has definitely improved a little bit. We're seeing a bump up in the spot price. We're going to go over that in the daily scoreboard in just a moment. And definitely there are a lot of elements to cover. I'm going to touch on a few of those today, but I want to announce something that we're going to be hosting in the next couple of weeks. This is a free webinar. As you may or may not know, we do members-only webinars once per month that are deep dives. We have yet to do a free webinar, put it out there to the public. We feel right now it is an important inflection point in this market, and we think we are very, very close to a point where this market is going to take off again. The physical market is extremely tight. I'm going to touch on that a little bit today in the podcast today. But if you would like to join us for this webinar, click the link in the description below, or you can type in www.uraniuminsider.com forward slash webinar. You have to type in the www, or you can just click the link below. Now, the software using the host, the platform has limited capacity. So if you want to secure your spot for this webinar, please do so. Click the link in the description right below there. Um, this is going to be a very, very uh, positive event. We have so much to discuss. There's some incredibly important fundamental developments that have happened this year alone that are quite constructive and are defining the setup very clearly. So we want to cover that in depth. I know there's been a lot of new interest in this market over the past six months or so, especially since we've been in this long correction over the past almost 18 months where we've been in this somewhat of a declining channel. A lot of these stocks are kind of in this triangular pattern. I'll show you the charts in a little bit here, but uh, this has again become a contrarian investment and the setup could not be better. So we're going to cover that in depth. We'd love to see you there on this webinar. Um, let's go ahead and jump right into the daily scoreboard on that note. All right, starting off with the spot price, we're showing 53.30 a pound mid-market. It's down about 50 cents from the high print uh, from the week that closed out April. Um, so we had a lot of spot market activity that last week in April, we saw the spot price jump up about $3. Uh, it's pulled back a little bit here. Activities definitely slowed down in the spot market, uh, but that is not the case for the term market. The term market is extremely active, and I'm going to discuss that after we go through the charts. Let's move on. Sput trading at almost a 10% discount. Actually, the, the trust traded up today. So we're, we're probably right around a 9% discount to NAV. That was north of a 15% discount to NAV when we were super risk off about a month ago, a month and a half ago. Um, it's slightly improving here, but Sput has been almost exclusively at a discount to NAV for the bulk of this year. 
In fact, we only had a couple of weeks late January, um, early February, where Sput was able to raise some cash and actually buy some uranium. They have largely been out of the market. Now, they did buy some uranium um, last week, or the, excuse me, the last week of April, they bought 100,000 pounds, which contributed slightly to the buying in the market. But the rest of the buying in the spot market, when we saw that bump in price, had uh, had much more influence coming from traders and utilities and even some producer buying. So multiple players in the spot market, multiple players in the term market, and the market is very, very tight here. It's not going to take a lot to push it up significantly higher. Um, ETFs, let's... So I'm not going to go over the actual numbers kind of from, from the near term, but just give you a broader perspective for the year. So far this year, what we've seen with the ETFs is far more redemptions from URA than URNM. In fact, URNM has been um, adding to their shares outstanding. So we're actually seeing kind of a reverse. We're seeing funds flow out of URA and into URNM. In fact, it's been such, to such an extreme this year that URNM, which is 100% pure play uranium mining stocks, URA is only 70% pure play uranium stocks. So if you take 70% of URA's assets under management, compare that to URNM's AUM, they're almost very, very close to each other right now. And we think URNM is going to surpass URA in terms of their pure play AUM. And that's going to happen very soon. When risk is on, URNM tends to outperform URA and vice versa. So it's been there's been an underperformance of URNM relative to URA over the past year or so. Um, when the market shifts, and I believe it's starting to shift over the last three months, we've seen some significant accumulation into URNM and some funds flowing out of URA. It's just an observation. Also, we're starting to see funds start to enter into URNJ. This is the Sprott Junior Uranium Miners ETF. I love this little ETF. I think this is going to be a monster winner during this bull market. It looks like it's put in a decent little rounding bottom pattern, bottoming pattern. And like I said, starting to increase their shares. Uh, very, very good sign here. But overall, the ETFs, they have been, generally speaking, selling pressure. But URNM, much lesser so than URA. In fact, uh, the outstanding shares of URNM have been increasing significantly year to date, but the opposite is true for URA. Okay, why don't we go ahead and take a look at the charts. Starting off with URA here, uh, chopping sideways to slightly up for the past two months. Now we saw this big decline here that happened during the banking crisis, right? We so and supposedly the banking crisis is continuing here. But uh, when we saw the failure of Silicon Valley Bank and a couple of other banks, we saw uh, we definitely saw some margin calls and some serious risk off sentiment across markets, and that hit us as well. We saw a big decline. In fact, in only two weeks, we saw URA, let's see, fall, uh, gosh, uh, at the low print, 15% over the course of two weeks. That's a big drop. Now we've recovered since then, uh, moved almost back up. We're trading just above this rising 200-week moving average within this big triangular pattern. Um, it's almost like a big kind of bull flag in a way, a very, very long-term one at that and we're going to break to the upside or the downside here. Um, hard to say which way it goes in the short term. As I mentioned, sentiment is improving here, but I don't think we're out of the woods in terms of being correlated with a another uh, flush down, a risk-off type liquidity event. That is certainly possible. Um, in fact, it's basically 100% consensus that that is going to happen, which I think is quite interesting. Usually the market does not deliver on absolute pure consensus. In fact, looking across Twitter, across YouTube, trying to find some voices that are 
that are speaking to something differently. I've literally found two entities. Now these are both both very sharp, very sharp macro uh, money managers that are saying oh, the recession is not as bad as everybody is saying. We think there is still possibly a soft landing and or we're not expecting a massive correction in the markets. Two, uh, everybody else is on board with uh, look out below. Now, I don't know which way it's going to go. I follow this market and this market alone. And I can tell you right now, the setup here is phenomenal and the market is getting tighter by the day. Equities are hanging in there, trying to kind of regain a little composure here. We've got some work to do uh, for this to get back into bullish territory, but trading above that rising 200 week moving average is at least a decent start. Let's look at this uh, chart on the daily chart. I'm generally wanting to look at uh, weekly charts since I haven't published in such a long time. URA printing uh, the highest weekly or the highest daily close yesterday in a couple of weeks, or in fact, a couple of months, trading up a little bit today, but uh, selling off throughout the day. I'm recording a couple of, a couple of hours after the close here. Um, where's the volume? We're still not seeing big, big volume come into this, but we are seeing signs of accumulation as we chop uh, slightly higher and grind generally sideways. Um, there was a great interview put out from my from my friend Andy from Finding Value Finance. He did a, a YouTube video over the weekend where he basically was hiding, highlighting a few different examples of resource stocks and how these uh, how these quote unquote bear trap type trades uh, type chart moves tend to act. Right, so we'll have these really big waterfall declines that shake out a lot of people. Um, and then once you have a slight recovery, then they just go sideways and bore everybody to death. <laughs> then possibly you have one more down move that really shakes people out. Then you have the strong move to the upside. So that was kind of what he was seeing uh, for, for URA or for some of the uranium equities charts. Um, I don't know whether we see a flush down before a move up, but it certainly is looking like a move up is potentially in the works. Now, I want to go back to the weekly chart here really quick and look at the RSI on the weekly chart. So what we're seeing here is we're seeing uh, RSI break above this moving average after spending a bit of time breaking below and bottoming out, all right? So what have we seen here? Below bottoming out, breaking up. And what happened? A decent up move. It wasn't super long lived, but it happened. Below and breaking above that moving average, another up move. Trading below the RSI uh, moving average, then breaking up above, another very, very big move. I mean, every time this has happened, we've seen big moves in uh, in the ETF itself. So perhaps we see a nice move to the upside breaking up and out of this triangular formation. That will obviously be a positive thing if we see that happen on volume and see continuation. Right now, what we're seeing is basically um, a tepid recovery from relatively weak trading equities across the uranium space for the most part, uh, with the market waiting for some confirmation, waiting for a continuation in the spot price rising, waiting for some real institutional-esque volumes coming in to these ETFs, to these equities. We have yet to see that. So, so far, we're seeing uh, just a little bit of improved sentiment, a little bit of improved composure in these charts, but nothing here is showing me bullish confirmation of a sustaining move here. We need to get back up above the moving averages, and especially on a daily chart, we need to get back up above that 200-day moving average with the 200-day rising. And of course, the shorter-term moving average is moving above that as well. We've got some work to do. Uh, we're we got some wood to chop here to get there, but I think that we will eventually get there. 
Cameco is uh, watching in another movie entirely. This has been a very, very strong stock. It's the sector leader and where Cameco goes, the sector goes. So perhaps Cameco is leading the way here. Uh, it's, it's pretty much held this uh, roughly drawn trend line for a very, very long time. It is fully recovered from the uh, the big raise that was announced on the on the Westinghouse deal, which should be closing uh, this quarter, I believe. And uh, but still, where are the volumes? We're seeing kind of accumulation volume, not breakout volume. Um, either way, this is one of the very few things that institutions can buy, and it's holding up quite well. I'm happy to see it. URA compared to the S&P. So this one was trading around these very, very tight moving averages. I thought it was going to break to the upside. I was wrong. It definitely broke down out of this pattern where it was kind of consolidating within this triangle. Full breakdown below that. Starting to recover here. Again, watching the RSI uh, moments where it traded below that moving average and broke above. We have just seen that now. I'd like to see some confirmation of the upside, both in this ratio chart and the RSI of this ratio chart. But of course, if we zoom way out on this, and this is kind of be going to be a growing theme here as I discuss things in the wrap up at the end of the video, we are extremely, extremely early in what is going to be a very long-term trend for this sector. All right. Uh, if we want to look at the chart of the commodity, why don't we? Just because it's so pretty. I like to look at a line chart of this. Uh, this is just an absolute looker, okay? So this is this is the commodity itself, U308 futures. Um, even though there's not really much of a futures market for this uh, for this commodity, uh, this is doing a decent job of tracking the price of the commodity um, with a little bit of a weird behavior, but you get the gist from the chart. What am I seeing here? I'm seeing an absolutely gorgeous uh, ascending triangle. So we have this repeated point of resistance, okay? So that's not, I'm not going to draw, I'm going to draw this relatively roughly here, you guys, but you get the idea. Um, this mostly repeated point of resistance somewhere in the high 40s, low 50s, right? Yet every time it corrects, we're making a higher low. Uh, this is my favorite chart pattern, my favorite bullish chart pattern. And it always has been my favorite bullish chart pattern when it came to technical trading, buying the breakout of this pattern when it happened on volume was a very, very uh, large, a good chance of that trade working out, let's say. Um, it, it makes sense, right, from a logical perspective. Uh, if you're looking at something like a, the psychology of a price resistance and seeing that same resistance repeat over and over and over and then a breakthrough. Now, we had this big breakout. Uh, this was, let's see, April April of last year, March, April of last year. This was all spot buying, okay? So we had a, a brief moment in time, risk on, spot is buying. This is not fundamentals of the sector. Now we've seen over the past, let's say, 10 months or so, very little buying coming from the financials, yet the price has maintained this ascending triangle pattern. It's absolutely gorgeous. Of course, this is following a huge rounding bottom. It's just beautiful. And uh, this is something that is not traded whatsoever on technicals, okay? So you're not, there's no paper market manipulation. Um, people, there's no uh, traders trading this based on the chart, okay? And perhaps there's people trading the spot vehicle or yellow cake or things like that based on the chart of this commodity. This is, uh, this will move based on supply and demand fundamentals. There's, I've seen a number of technical analysts saying they expect a pullback in the price in this chart, pulling down to the high 30s, low 40s. Uh, I'm telling you right now, that is not going to happen, okay? I, I can't envision any scenario in which that happens other than 
um, an utter breakdown in the fundamentals of the sector. So a huge, huge demand shock. That's the only thing that would cause a reversal in this price trend. I can tell you right now, there's entities that have not been big buyers in the spot market who are buying every pound they can get their hands on around the $50 mark. That is the floor, period, the end. Up is the only way this is going to go. On that note, let's move on. Okay, so I want to discuss a couple of things here, and I'm going to share my screen with a couple of uh, charts and some tweets that I think are relevant to discuss in in today's podcast. So if you're listening to this on, on audio, I'll do my best to describe what we're seeing, but you can always go back and watch it on, on YouTube and just jump to this section of the video. First of all, term contracts. 99 million pounds have been signed into long-term contracts this year, year to date. We are 18 weeks into the year. That is about one third of the entire calendar year has now passed, and we have contracted almost 100 million pounds. If you analyze that, of course, that's some pretty easy math. It's just shy of 300 million pounds for the year. Do I expect this to be annualized? Not necessarily. Generally speaking, utilities have, uh, they do quiet down in July and August, um, start to pick up again in the autumn. So it's possible we see these big volumes now, um, but a lot of this is being dictated, not necessarily because of some one-off exogenous event. This is due to uh, the chickens finally coming home to roost in terms of capacity that's available from tier one producers in terms of a consistently rising prices across the entire fuel cycle. And now utilities are stepping up to the plate in volumes we haven't seen for over a decade. Almost 100 million pounds secured this year in long-term contracts officially inked. There's a bunch of deals getting done in the background that have yet to be inked that are going to be adding to those numbers. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see 150 million pounds signed by the end of the first half of this year. Okay. That's another two months from now. I would not be surprised to see that number. Not surprised at all. In fact, that would actually be on pace. So that's not that big of a call. But considering the volumes that we've seen in term contracts over the years, this is really, really big. This is a big deal. This is this is happening finally. And you guys, guess what? This is year freaking one of a term contracting cycle that's going to last many, many years. And the prices are going in one direction. And I hope at this point, you know which direction that is going to be. Okay. Um, tier one capacity, this is being consumed rather quickly. The tier one capacity, these are your existing producers. These are high grain mines and are low cost production mines. Okay. So, uh, Kazakhstan's deposits are not necessarily high grades, but they're low cost due to the ISR mining and the specific geology they have in that country. Um, and then of course you have Cameco's MacArthur river and cigar Lake, um, Cameco's JV with Inkai, uh, their Inkai JV with Kazadamprom. You have BHP's Olympic Dam, which they aren't really, uh, th they essentially sell in the spot market or spot reference con shorter term contracts. So they're not really pushing the price up, but they are a primary producer. And then of course you have a number of traders with off takes that are signing contracts as well, but you primarily have Cameco, Arano, uh, in Kazadamprom. And of course they're JVs, right? But not Uranium One, the Chinese, yeah, they're signing some contracts but for the most part that's not happening in the West. Um, they they are selling a bit in the spot market, but not a whole lot. Um, on that note, I want to share this tweet coming from uh, David Turver. So David tweeted out his interpretation of this news that dropped. This was last week, I believe, coming from Kazadamprom. So they're having a shareholder vote at their AGM to affirm a deal that is being looked at with CNNC. 
China National Nuclear Corporation. Um, so this deal, uh, they they so they only need a shareholder vote if the deal is greater than 50% of their total book value, or less than 200% of their total book value, okay? And less than 200%. So doing calculation on that, David has come up here. This is somewhere in the range of 38 to 200 million pounds of uranium. And we're not going to know exactly where that lands until they officially announce uh, where it does land and how much they had signed on to that. Uh, and maybe they don't announce it. Maybe it comes out in their, their next financials. So either way, what are we seeing here? We are seeing Chinese entity come into Kazatomprom for more pounds. So what have the Chinese done lately? The Chinese, um, let's see, they have, they've got uh, an offtake from Paladin's Langer Heinrich, which is uh, currently in development to get back uh, restarted, has been in care and maintenance for a number of years. They have uh, Husab mine in Namibia. They've got a bunch of JVs with Kazatomprom. Um, and they have a little bit of mining in their own country, but not a whole lot. And now they're securing contracts and they have been securing contracts, but this is a whopper. Okay. So they're setting up this, um, this storage facility right on the border of Kazakhstan and China, where they're going to be purchasing uranium to fill that facility. They will be trading out of that uranium. So it's not like a buy and hold physical fund, but it is a warehouse for storing uranium that they can trade like a trading port. More and more of Kazatomprom's uh, in Kazakhstan's, I should say, uranium production is going to remain in the East. Mark my words, it is happening and it's happening right now. This has a number of reasons. One, there's been a lot of transportation issues shipping this material West without going through the port of St. Petersburg in Russia. It has been complicated. It is not getting easier. Um, two, the market continues to reaffirm bifurcation uh, West versus East, or non-Russia and Russia, uh, OECD and BRICS, however you want to call it, that bifurcation is uh, continuing to solidify, unfortunately, but it is what is happening, so it's why we discuss it here. Um, three, it's very easy for Kazakhstan to ship material east to China. China is a consistent buyer. China has a massive build-out uh, program, okay? So last year, they announced, and in previous years, they announced a goal of hitting 200 gigawatts by 2035, which was absolutely insane. They weren't on pace to hit that, so they came out just within the last uh, month or so, revising that plan, but reiterating a incredibly robust build-out, where they're shooting for now 150 gigawatts by 2035. Now, keep in mind, they're at 52, 53 gigawatts right now, so we're looking at almost 100 new gigawatts of, of nuclear in the next 12 years. Okay, that's a massive, massive build out and they need all the uranium they can get. And so this is a big contract. Now, if you're a utility and you're starting to see tier one production being consumed, so not only these gigantic contracts with Kazatomprom, but also how about Cameco? Now let's bring up one more slide here. So Cameco, this is, this is a slide that was shared from their uh, recent quarterly call. And of course, these are graphical representations of data coming from UXC's uh, Uranium Market Outlook product, okay? So um, UXC historically and continuously is quite conservative with these numbers. Keep that in mind, okay? If you, if you graph the same, if you look at a similar type of graph coming from trade tech, you're going to see a vastly different outlook, okay? Which is um, far less supply online and significantly higher demand. But either way, even with a conservative price reporter, look at the incredible outlook of this sector going forward that is highlighted by Cameco here. 
Utility uncovered uranium requirements, 2.2 billion pounds through 2040. A lot of uranium. Supply outlook is uncertain. Structural, primary, and secondary supply gap. So they actually show UXC in their base case shows a relatively balanced market right about now. That's not the case. <laughs> Let me tell you. Okay, we're looking at 100 million pounds, 180 million pounds of demand this year with about 150 million pounds mined. Um, that's not including secondary supply or demand. Secondary demand is going to come from the producers. It's going to come from the funds, which I'll talk about in just a second. Uh, and, and the supply, the secondary supply is, is way, way less than it has been. Why? Western enrichers are not underfeeding. So that's about 10 million pounds a year that is gone. Um, it's, it's, it's not like it's not available. It's not there. Okay. Yeah. Underfeeding from Western enrichers is absolutely gone. This is huge. Okay. So let's talk about Cameco and their contracting. Where are the big contracts being signed that Cameco has announced this year? Ukraine and Bulgaria. These are two very chunky contracts. These are Eastern European countries that historically have been buyers of Russian products. Uh, uranium, conversion, enrichment, fuel fabrication, all in one fell swoop from the Russians, as cheap as you can get it. Bob's your uncle, it's done. Okay, so they, they've been trying, they've been they've been securing these these contracts from Russia for, for since forever. Now these are buyers from Cameco. Uh, getting their unique hexagonal fabricated fuel rods for these Russian design reactors from Westinghouse. Um, more of this tier one capacity that has been historically, uh, not exclusively, but largely available to Western utilities is now being signed into utilities that have been typically purchasing, purchasing from Russia. It's tightening things even further. And this tier one capacity is not endless, okay? You look at Cameco's contract book, 26 million pounds roughly on average for the next five years. How much did they produce in a single year with MacArthur and Cigar both at 18 million? Their share of that production, including Inkai, their share of Inkai, about 26 million pounds of uranium per year, okay? They are pretty much fully contracted out for the next five years. Of course, their book opens out beyond that a bit, but there's no, not a whole lot left coming from Cameco for utilities in terms of U308 um, without increased production. And yes, they can increase their production. They will likely try to do so if the market supports it, and it will. How about Kazakhstan? How about Kazatomprom? Well, got a bunch of JVs in Kazatomprom with Kazatomprom from Uranium One. That's not going west. You got JVs with China. That's largely not going west. Your other JVs are with Arano, Cameco, and then Kazatomprom themselves and a couple of Japanese entities. More and more of this uranium is going to remain in the East. And even with that said, their capacity for contracting out in the future is dwindling relatively quickly. So we've got sort of a come to Jesus moment that's going to happen at some point in the near future. The Western utilities are going to have to put up or shut up. They're going to have to shit or get off the pot. And the, and the money is going to flow in and the contracting volume is going to flow. That's going to pull up the spot price of uranium. Okay, what's next I want to share with you guys? Oh, I wanted to talk about the physical funds. That's another thing that's happened since my last uh, podcast here. So we have obviously SPUT. Everybody's familiar with SPUT. It's been mired in a discount to NAV for a very long time, um, with a couple of exceptions. Will risk come back onto this vehicle and they buy uranium? Yes. Um, when that happens, is the, rain, is the price of uranium going to moonshot? If we see serious, if we see the type of risk that came on into this vehicle, September of 2021, March and April of 2022, the price is going to have a much more drastic response than it did during those periods of time. Why? Because there's less material available that is above ground and mobile 
that was available for these brief periods of backwardation in this market where you had uh, carry traders um, pull, pull pounds off their books, sell them to SPUT, and then cover by securing midterm contracts from some of these low-cost producers, like the Uzbeks or the Kazakhs, or potentially even BHP for that matter. So that happened. That was a, a temporary buffer of liquidity for those two moments in time. Well, not only is that a buffer of uranium that has been consumed by SPUT during those periods of time, but carry trades are not being put on anywhere near in the amount of volume that they have been in the previous decade. I mean, not even close, not even close, you guys. Uh, we have this market, which is the high interest rates make it complicated, okay? Uh, and a thin market makes, a spot market makes it even more complicated. So when the spot market was less thin and the interest rates were low, it was very easy for a trader to sign a contract with a utility, let's say a five-year delivery. Um, they would add their cost of carry. They would add their storage costs. They would add um, a bit of profit and they would sign those contracts. They'd go out and buy that uranium in the spot market, hold it on their books and deliver out in the future. Well, lo and behold, SPUT comes along, spot price shoots up 10 bucks in the course of a month. And you have, these guys are thinking, okay, well, let's just dish out this uranium. We'll, we'll book that profit and we'll cover our contract that we have to, that we are obligated to deliver to utility in the future. We'll cover that off by securing new midterm contracts. Okay, so that happened a lot. That happened during these periods of time. During uh, these these two periods of where there was a pretty large risk on coming into this market, when that happens again, the price response is going to be much more violent. Why? Because that buffer isn't there, or it's much smaller than it was. Okay, so that is going to happen. So we have spot. Yellow cake can buy 100 million pounds of uranium. Uh, 100 million, excuse me, 100 million dollars of uranium from Kazatomprom each year. Okay. Now we have this new vehicle. Oh, ANU Energy. Um, ANU is going to IPO, I think it's Q2 of next year, and they have increased their target goal of raising of cash to raise from 400 million to 500 million. Now that's not a buy and hold fund. I believe that they will technically trade uranium, but still that's a lot of buying they're going to have to do at the beginning to, to fill up that fund. That's a big one. We've heard whispers of another fund being set up in Singapore. That has not been confirmed following rumors over the past six months or so. But we've got another kid in town. Uh, Zuri Invest, in, based in Switzerland, is uh, launching a new uranium physical fund. And this is very, very unique. Okay, So what are some of the unique elements to this? By the way, they're still in their initial raise right now. They're going to close that. Uh, let's see. I think that is a week from this coming Friday, if I recall correctly. So in about two weeks, just under two weeks, that should be closed. They're shooting to raise between 15 and 100 million. I have no idea how that's going. They're being very, very tight-lipped about it. Why? They don't want to trigger any runs in the spot market. They don't want any front running of what they're about to do. So they're being very, very hush-hush about um, whether or not they're in the market, how much money they're raising, et cetera. So a couple of unique things about this. Um, one, they, they, they will be buyers and sellers of uranium, but only selling uranium when they have redemption. So they're not trading uranium whatsoever. The intent is for this fund to trade persistently at NAV in their critique of the Sprott vehicle. So, uh, because this won't be publicly traded, you can't buy and sell this, um, on, on an exchange, but you can buy and sell it through a brokerage, uh, with an ISIN number. So, um, what that means is they're going to buy and hold uranium 
And if you want to redeem your, your, uh, your investment from this vehicle, if they have cash on hand, which they will only have cash on hand if they don't have sufficient cash to buy a minimum lot of uranium, which is 100,000 pounds. So at this point, that's $5.3 million. So let's say they have $4 million, you're cashing out a position of $1 million. They'll do that with the cash on hand. No problem. Two, um, they can try to, to cross that sale off with a purchase order. Three, if neither of those two options are there, they can sell some uranium to redeem your investment. Other than that, they're not trading. Um, let's see, what else? They will trade persistently at NAV because there won't be um, just daily market risk on, risk off forces trading at a premium discount. So they'll basically be at, be at NAV all the time. Um, three, they're buying uranium only in the front month. Okay, so front month within 30 day settlement only period the end. What does that mean? If they, let's say they raise... Uh, let's say they raise $100 million, okay? And uh, let's say they raise $105 million and they can go in and buy 2 million pounds, okay? Roughly. <laughs> My math is a little bit off there, 106.5 million. All right. They go in, they, they go in to try to buy 2 million pounds and they don't, it isn't there for a front month settlement. What happens? Do they go out on the curve? They say, okay, that's all right. We'll, we'll, we'll take 90 day settlement. No, they just raise their bid until it gets filled. Okay, so this is a very, very, very thin spot market. And of course, the effect that this fund will have on the market, just like spot, the effect it will have will be entirely dictated by capital flows. So if they struggle to raise money, which would not be a surprise in these capital markets, right? We're certainly not in a bullish, you know, super risk on environment right now. If they struggle to raise cash, it's not going to do a whole lot. But if capital flows into this vehicle, the price movement in spot will be palpable. Okay. So this is yet another fund. Then what do we hear? In an interview last week with uh, Askar Badarbaya, formerly COO of Kazatomprom, he was interviewed by Jimmy Connor from Bloor Street Capital. Another fund is coming. Okay, he didn't share a lot about this fund, how much that, how much they're seeking to raise, where it's based, will it be publicly traded or not? Didn't share anything. Another fund in addition to the Zuri Invest Fund. Um, we had a members webinar last month. This would be the April members webinar. We, we spoke with Bram Vanderelst. He is the uh, head trader and founder of Curzon Uranium Trading. Very experienced, very sharp guy. We went deep into the weeds on the physical market. He is the uranium trader um, or the uranium buyer, let's say, for the Zuri Invest vehicles. We talked a lot about that vehicle, the physical market. Fantastic conversation. That vehicle is coming. All right, this is getting pretty long. I want to keep moving through this here. Okay, so <clears throat> big contract from Kazatomprom and CNNC. We'll hear about more about that coming, but we know that's at least 30-something million pounds. Uh, and we're already at 100 million pounds, 99 million pounds for the year for long-term contracts. I mean, it's it's happening, you guys. Okay, so shared with you the Cameco uh, slide. Let's look at uh, broader, where are we at in this market? That's what I want to look at now. So Quakes is quoting UXC, and UXC was quoted publicly a, a number of times. Now, I, I tend to not do this, um, but I, because this was already shared, this was technically a quote that was published in their UX Weekly product, which we do subscribe to. And by the way, if you don't already, you should set up a free account at uxc.com. They do put out quality products, even though, as I have mentioned in the past, they tend to be pretty conservative, uh, far too conservative in our opinion. Okay, so when we think back to the exact moment we knew with absolute certainty that the nuclear industry had entered a new phase, uh, 
It just might be the World Nuclear Fuel Conference that took place on April 18th to 20th in The Hague, Netherlands. All right, so I found that uh, quite interesting. Um, this this is very different language coming from UXC. Okay, so they're basically saying this conference that happened in The Hague a couple of weeks back, that was the moment. That was the moment that we knew things were different for this market. Um, so I think that's really interesting to see. These are the types of inflection points and shifting in narrative that can mark a change in trend. And we've already had uh, one big leg up, one big correction in this market. But how early are we? I want to share a chart from my friend Patrick Kareem, Bad Charts. I love, love, love this chart. And I love these guys' long-term perspective. They do really brilliant ratio charting. And I think that the long-term perspective, well, I don't think, I know it's necessary for this market. Why? It's incredibly opaque and it could take a very long time for the equities to understand and, and move in a manner that is in line with the actual market fundamentals, of course, right? So we've had a big leg up. We had a big correction here. Let's look at uranium. So he's charting uranium, the commodity itself, compared to the S&P 500. This is a monthly chart that goes back uh, 35 years, 38 years, very, very long-term. Okay. So, and we know that these, these trends for the commodity for uranium are very long and very large. So they tend to, to base and bottom with oversupply. Uh, it can trade for years and years and years below the cost of production at, as it did prior to the previous bull market, um, 2004 to 2007 ish. And it did again in this past decade, where we had uh, megatons of megawatts going to 2013. That was 20 million pounds a year, uh, as Mike Alkin likes to call an off-balance sheet asset for the utilities, which, by the way, that's gone. Uh, Western underfeeding is gone. Like I'm telling you guys, the secondary supply is not there. It's just not there. That option for utilities is gone. They have to buy uranium, uranium now. Okay, so it tends to base for a very long time. And relative to the S&P, these moves are very obvious, very violent, and uh, last for a number of years on the bullish side and much, much longer on the downside. So we've experienced the downside multiple times over the past few decades. And we had this huge underperformance of the S&P 500 from 1985 to 2001. Then the price of uranium started to move, okay? This is the early days. And this is the price of uranium. Keep in mind the equities they didn't necessarily bottom out in 2001. Some of them bottomed out in 02, 03. Most of them started to move around that time, at least kind of pick their head up off the mat. Um, but there weren't a lot of equities at the time. And so the ones that were there moved uh, pretty significantly. Step one, cross above the three-year moving average. Okay, so that happened in 2001. Step two, exit from this cloud. This is the Ichimoku cloud that he's using here on the monthly chart. So now once you have the price of uranium exit the cloud, then the next move up was very, very sharp and sustained with minimal corrections. Again, this is for the commodity. I've shared in the past, there were equities that went the chop sideways to down. For example, Denison went down almost 40 something, let's say 40 something percent over a 12 month period while the uranium price was up 60%. S&P was up 15%. Yet in the commodity was moving, Yes, the broad market was moving, risk was on, but the uranium equities were going through a correction. Just happens. Sometimes that happens. What happened after that? Denison went, uh, the stock price tripled in the matter of about four months. Okay, so once it exited the cloud, then we had a sustained move higher in the commodity itself. Where are we now? Step one and two. 
Step one, above that uh, three-year moving average. That happened in last year. Exit at the cloud. We're out of the cloud. That happened late last year. Okay, so, and he's got this little cute rocket ship emoji. I share this because I want to emphasize the long term. Yes, it has been a frustrating correction where the equities have moved in opposite direction of the fundamental stories that have come in, but the spot price has remained relatively stagnant. We had a pop to $64 a pound last year. We're still trading at 53. So there's a lot of people out there that don't understand the fundamentals for the sector or are not buying because of those fundamentals. They're waiting for the spot price to again confirm an uptrend, and they're waiting to see volumes come into the equities. Fine, that's going to happen. Um, in the meantime, we've got a 30 to 40 plus percent discount in most of these equities from the high print of late 2021 with an unbelievably de-risked thesis. Um, I'm going to leave it there for you guys. I apologize if this went long. If you are still watching or listening, thanks for hanging in there. Again, I would love to have you join us for the webinar that we will be hosting in uh, in a couple of weeks from today. And please sign up for that. Like I mentioned, this is I'm not just trying to like push you into this, but uh, there is limited space, and that's something we can't control. Uh, the The software that we're using for the webinar has a limited capacity, so we can't just take everybody. So secure your space in that webinar. We're going to go way into these fundamental setups. I touched on a few of them today. Trust me, there's plenty more to discuss, and there's plenty more that uh, has more near-term implications for where we think this market is about to go. Like I said, could we see another flush down 100%? Are things looking great for the broad market or for recession or for a bunch of banks that are at risk? Um, no, they're not. They're definitely not. Things did not look great. So I'm not necessarily optimistic about those types of things. All I can tell you is that this, this thesis is has been de-risked beyond our wildest dreams even a couple of years ago. And we think we're at the cusp of an extremely robust move in the sector here. So uh, you want to be a contrarian? Here you go. Uh, look forward to seeing you next time. Again, I apologize for the delay in getting this out there. I do intend to do these more often, but I'll do them as often as I can. And sometimes life does not allow me to, uh, to do these as often as I would like. So thank you for your patience. Please like this video. Please share it if you think it's been helpful uh, with for understanding this space. And I hope that uh, we will see you at the webinar. And I hope to see you uh, on the next Uranium Market Minute. Take care. Be well. Cheers.